Church history tells us that her name was Veronica. She was likely from the area of Caesarea Philippi. And the reason that Jewish historians have told her story, the story of Veronica, is because later, out of the joy and the excitement that God gave her when she met Jesus, she created two bronze statues that lived throughout history for hundreds of years. One of her statues is of her bowing down, looking up to Jesus with a look of supplication, of help me. And the other statue pictures Jesus standing before her erect with his hand held out to her. And because these statues uh, lived hundreds of years throughout history, Veronica's name is told to us by Jewish historians. Who was this lady? Who was Veronica of Caesarea Philippi? And why was her experience with Jesus so meaningful that she created these statues? Well, to get to that information, turn with me to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to read her story of Veronica's encounter with Jesus and it being of such reality to her and so meaningful to her that she goes on to uh, emblaze that in history with these statues. Mark chapter 5, please follow with me first in verses 25 through 34. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. But she heard about Jesus... And so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And immediately, we're told, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of this terrible condition. Jesus then realized at once that Healing power had gone from him, and so he turned around in the crowd, and he asked this question, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing all around you. How can you ask, Who touched me? But he kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling, at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him, thus the statues, and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. 
we can study this story or understand this story by hanging it on three nails. First of all, we will cover the lady's health, Veronica's health. Secondly, we will look at Veronica's hope, and then we will see her healing. In all likelihood, <clears throat> Veronica came from a typical Jewish home. Again, we're not giving, given a lot of information about her in the Scripture, but again, through uh, Jewish history, Jewish historians, Christian history, we learn some things about her. She was likely from a typical Jewish home, probably a happy little girl raised with all the hopes and dreams that are in the heart of a little girl. But those dreams would be cut short for Veronica. It would have begun with pain in the abdominal area. She likely would have tried to ignore it, but other symptoms would follow. At some point, she would have decided that she had to get medical help. And the scripture tells us that she went to many doctors, spent all the money that she had, and she was no better. In fact, being worse, jumping from doctor to doctor, specialist to spe specialist until she was completely broke and her health worse. Her condition is simply identified as a flow of blood for over 12 years. Whatever her condition, whatever her medical diagnosis her problems would be more though than just physical there would be a religious consequence as well she would have been placed when the bleeding started on the priest's list because the flow of blood from her would have deemed her unclean and so, with the flow of blood, the priest would have been made aware of her issue and would have given a time frame for her to get better. And if not, which is what happened, she would have been ostracized from society. She would have been like a leper. She would have been called unclean. When someone approached her, she would have had to say unclean. Because her medical condition continued to deteriorate. She would have been, at some point, so scared, so despondent, that she would do what only a desperate person would do. And she dove into the biggest crowd she probably had ever seen. Her hope. Whatever the circumstances with the lady, 
the ostracizing, the quarantining, the get-away-from-me attitude. Even there, among those that had also been cast out from society, she would have heard of Jesus. There were whispers going on everywhere at the time in Galilee. Messiah has come. A miracle worker is among us. And Veronica would have picked up these stories. She would have been greatly intrigued and her interest peaked over this one who heals people, heals diseases, takes away sin. She develops a plan. She had to get over the hump. Do I dare believe he can help me? And so she begins a strategy. She eavesdrop, eavesdrops on every conversation. And she identifies finally a time and a place where Jesus is going to be and she is going to meet him. She develops this plan in her mind. The day comes when she needs to start her journey. She would have disguised herself as best that she could. She would have lowered her head and moved forward. Staying off the main roads where she may encounter people. She stays in shadows, close to the uh, side of the road. Slowly, though, and methodically, she makes her way into Capernaum. As she walks through the city of Capernaum, again, with her head down, disguised, she suddenly sees the largest crowd she's ever seen. People pressing in together where it was difficult for some to breathe. That kind of shoulder-to-shoulder, mash-up against you, that kind of crowd was there. And so Veronica knows that's got to be him. That's got to be Jesus. So she makes her way toward the crowd. They're gathered together right off of the coast, or right on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. She knows that Jesus has to be in there somewhere. So standing outside of the crowd, knowing what must be done, every muscle in her body would have tightened, she would have had to tell, tell herself, breathe, because she was about to do something that could lead to her execution. Convinced this was her time, she makes her way into the crowd. The crowd probably was growing by 
the moment, tightly packed together, she knew the only way she could get to him was just to lower her head and part the crowd as God parted the Red Sea in the desert. She walks to the crowd's, to the crowd's edge and then she suddenly thinks to herself, all I have to do is touch his robe. I don't, I, don't, I don't have to get to him. I don't have to have an audience with Jesus. I don't have to see him face to face. All I have to do is to get close enough just to touch his robe. And so with that, she dives into the crowd. Everyone she touches would have been unclean, ceremonially unclean, and would have had to go through a ritual washing. But she's not thinking about that. She dives in, moves her way through the crowd. It would have been a strenuous and arduous, slow going, but she didn't stop. She would not be denied her opportunity to be with Jesus. Somehow, some way, Veronica, our lady, with arms flailing and feet churning, kept getting closer and closer. Periodically, she would raise up her head quickly, glance up, stretch her head as high as possible to make sure she's still in line with where she believed Jesus to be. And then she'd tuck her head down and lumber on. There's no telling how long it took her to get to the Lord, but the moment came. This was her chance. She lunges forward, and she's able to grab his robe. It had to be one of those slow motion times, you know, when everything seems to stop and then creep forward. I can imagine that was what she felt when she saw the Lord and fixated upon that robe. And then she takes her last lunge to grab hold. Instantaneously, she was healed. She came into healing immediately. She knew that the flow of blood had stopped in touching his robe. But then, to her horror, the Lord turns around and said, who touched me? The disciples said, dude, are you crazy? You know, there are people everywhere. We're, we're shoulder to shoulder, front to front, back to back. We, we can't hardly move. What do you mean, who touched me? Veronica would have tightened up with fear. She would have ducked down under the crowd and tried to hide 
she thought to herself, oh my God, what have I done? Unclean. I've touched so many people and now I'm here and now he knows. He knows. Jesus kept looking around and finally she eases herself up makes her way before Jesus and then falls on her face prostrate and as she does she recounts her story to him she would again have been awfully afraid to admit who she was and what she'd done this was not a part of her plan this was not supposed to happen but now she has to face the consequences and Jesus turned to her and said these words. I reject you because you didn't follow religious law. He said, away from me, for you didn't come in the right way. You know what he said. He said, daughter, Young lady, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is done. Put yourself in Veronica's shoes. And what you've done could be Suicidal. You could be put to death for what you've done. And now you're standing before the God-man. And he simply turns and says, Bless you, young lady. Your suffering is over. I want to add a little to this story because this healing, this encounter with Veronica and Jesus is called the parenthetic miracle. And that's because, you know, when we use parentheses, we say this and oh yeah, this and then go on. It's because when Veronica met Jesus, he was on his way to heal someone else. Listen to the story again in Mark 5. Follow as I read verses 21 through 24. And again, these are the words in the scripture just before we went into the healing of Veronica. This is what was going on. This is the context of what what was happening. In verses 21 through 24, 
Jesus got in the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd had gathered around him on the shore. Then the leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently, My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her, heal her, so she can live. Then Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. So this crowd was moving. It was in process. They were, they were being led to the house of a synagogue leader, Jairus. His little girl was sick, and she was dying. And so he pleaded, Jesus, come with me. And so in this process, Veronica comes up and touches the tail of his coat. And then let's finish the story in verses 35 through 43 to find out what happened with this little girl. Verse 35, after Jesus turns to Veronica and says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Then verse 35, while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, Your daughter's dead. She's gone. There's no use troubling the teacher, Jesus, now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw uh, much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and he asked this question. Why, why is all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and three disciples into the room where the girl was lying, holding her hand. He said to her, Talitha, comb, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, and she was 12. Veronica had suffered 12 years the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed, totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and he told them to give her something to eat. Here's the point. Jesus had just come from Gadara where he met a man who had a legion of demons. And Jesus cast out those demons into a herd of pigs. You remember the story? And they all ran off the cliff and drowned in the river below. He comes from that across the river, uh, across the sea, and he encounters Jairus. And so... In process, Veronica touches his robe 
I want to take two things away from this, this story or these stories. Two things that I think are really important for us to get a handle on. Number one, the compassion of Jesus. I mean, it's overwhelming. Let's ask Veronica. Veronica, what do you think about the compassion of Jesus? He loves me. He healed me. You see, it doesn't matter if you live in Gadara. If something happened in your life where you became open to devils, it doesn't matter if you were the kid that was ostracized because you were weird and did things that others didn't do because you were, there were times when you weren't even in control of your own thoughts and lives and behavior. It doesn't matter if you were a constant outcast growing up thinking there's nobody that cares anything about me. Or Jairus, if you're a respected, well-to-do leader of the synagogue where you are given honor and your little girl is dying. Doesn't matter if you're Veronica. And you've lived with pain all your life. You've been the one cheated out of a real life on this earth because your physical problems have been so great. It doesn't matter if you've lost everything. And you are so desperate that you would do something that she did. The compassion of Jesus touches, reaches out, and touches you. I, I don't care what you've done. He doesn't. It's an open reception of grace and mercy. The compassion of Jesus. The second takeaway from the story is the passion of Veronica. The compassion of Jesus evident. But then there is this story. There is this lady. There is this incredible daughter named Veronica who absolutely threw out all social and religious uh, ideologies of the day. And she became desperate enough to get to the Messiah. Let me ask you this. 
What is your desperation rating right now to know him? To be touched by him? To walk with him? Because like Veronica, we've got a lot of things in front of us, a lot of walls we got to get through, a lot of mountains we got to climb. If we're going to touch him and walk with him, we've got to get through our selfishness. We've got to get through our daily patterns. We've got to be more desperate. Because some of us are just standing on the outside of the crowd, looking in. Observation is what drives us. We observe what happens in the church. We observe the Bible. We observe the Christian faith. But we're always just kind of looking at what's going on. I have an interest in religion, but not going there. Or maybe you've been a part, a part of the crowd your whole life. Maybe you've been walking with the crowd. Maybe even you've been walking with the crowd who's following Jesus. But you never get close. You just kind of go where the flow goes. Go where people of faith go. And you're part of the party, but you're not part of Jesus. The passion of Veronica. Her desperation to get to him is something that we need. I need it. You need it. Highland Baptist Church needs it. Where I'm willing to step out of my norm because more than anything else in this life, I got to get to him. I don't want to just walk with the people who walk with him. I want to walk with him myself. Let me close with this. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me, God says, and you will find me. When? When we seek him like Baraka did. When walking with God becomes more important to me than anything else, than anything around me, than social norms, than societal strategies, nothing becomes more important to me than seeking and finding God, thus seeking Him with all my heart.